Talk Recorded live. Good morning and welcome to the Empress of Biz. This is Joanne Forrester. I am president of the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement. And today we're going to be talking to one of our board officers who has been um, responsible uh, with me and our, our board to to establish the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement. And we've done a number of activities, but, you know, getting to know our members and what they have accomplished is a um, is an important thing. And one, my co-founder uh, of the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of, of Achievement is my friend and professional uh, colleague is Bonnie DiCarlo. Good afternoon, Bonnie, and welcome to the... Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement. Thanks, Joanne. My pleasure. Yes. So what we're going to do today, because this is our mission, is to interview women, tell their stories, and what has happened to them to um, make their, to make, you know, that aimed at making their contributions. And Bonnie is a person who has been very active in the feminist movement, very active as a as an advocate for women candidates and uh, as a, one of the first women who was a certified financial planner in this region. So, Bonnie, let's start with your professional career. What you have actually a dual career and have excelled in both of them, one as a musician and two as a certified financial planner. Uh, what led you to do both? Well, my whole education, background, and training and love was in music, uh, keyboard. Uh, By the time I finished graduate school, I had a master's in performance and organ, and also uh, a lot of uh, credits, etc., and recitals in piano. So I was a keyboard person, and I loved it. Uh, So I did a lot of performing, a lot of teaching at university and colleges. I taught at the uh, Community College of Allegheny County for 18 years. Uh, did a lot of chamber music, both with the uh, Renaissance Trio and also with the Allegheny Trio. The Allegheny Trio was three women, and we toured the tri-state area and also did a stint of 28 days of performing in Japan. So I had quite a varied, uh, along with my church music, a varied career in music. Uh, And then I decided, gee, what should I do uh, with the rest of my life (laughs) at one point? and uh, was invited to join the investment firm, Allegheny Investments. Uh, It was begun by some friends of mine and my husband's, and my husband actually was one of the principals for many years in Allegheny Investments. And they said, Bonnie, you know a lot of people. Why don't you just do this? And you can do your music also, which is exactly what I did. And I started that um, many years ago, over 30 years ago. And I have combined, as you said, my music with the financial planning and um, have quite a number of clients. I work mostly with women uh, who were very happy to work with a woman who didn't talk down to them like they told me some of their previous financial consultants. And so it was a very rewarding experience for me. I love interacting with people. Uh, I have the knowledge and I believe some wisdom Uh, about financial planning and people's futures, and I'm very happy to share it with them. So I have had a very successful, uh, in a sense, dual career, music and financial planning. 
Well, Bonnie, I want to ask you because um, I know where did you do your training for uh, the music? Well, I went to undergraduate. Well, I started piano lessons with my father when I was like four and a half years old because my father did play the piano and also the accordion in a band, uh, which he played for many, many years. He was able to support us. He had a family of seven children um, besides working in U.S. Steel. So I started there, and then I got my undergraduate degree, from, um, which was then Mount Mercy, Carlo University now. Went to Northwestern and got my master's degree, and then uh, won a scholarship to Fontainebleau, France, and studied there for a month or so, and got a, a certificate of performance from Fontainebleau. I studied there with Nadia Boulanger, uh, who was one of the foremost uh, trainers and uh, coaches in music uh, in the world at that time. And so I did have a very, very fine background and was very, very fortunate. Uh, the first person in my family to go to college and then to get a master's degree. Uh, so it was very humbling uh, that the family, as large as it was, uh, really followed me and helped me along. So you were um, a pioneer in your family. Well, actually, that is true <laughs> in many ways, <laughs> uh, educationally and socially. Uh, my brothers and sisters sometimes wondered if I was adopted because I had some <laughs> ideas that were somewhat different uh, than the families. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I wasn't adopted. In <laughs> um, your plane, I, I understand that you also did some international uh, work. Yes, like I said, the trio. Um, our violinist was Japanese, and she set up a tour in Japan. So we played throughout the country of Japan uh, for 28 days. Uh, we were there. Um, and one of the most interesting things was not the music in Japan, but I got to go to the Peace Park in Hiroshima um, that was set up after the Second World War and was given a tour by one of the delegates who was there originally when the uh, Peace Park was open. So not only was it a fantastic, fabulous musical experience for me, but it was very humbling and um, social experience in meeting the Japanese and in visiting the places uh, where the bombings, uh, the American bombings had occurred. Okay. So you have a, a wide career in music, and you've had the great experience of traveling overseas. And I know you have traveled overseas personally. And I'm going to ask this question a little off the off the track of what we were doing. What do you see as difference in the international attitude versus our American attitude? Um, do you see a big difference? Toward America or toward the world? Towards the world. Well, the last time I was anywhere outside this country was about four years ago. Um, the United States was, at that point, was actually looked up to and looked at with quite um, a positive view. Uh, people were very pleased that President Obama had been elected. Uh, our economy seemed to be working well with their economy. Everything seemed to be going well. Uh, of course, when you're in Italy, you have your national strikes. 
And when you're uh, in Holland, you have your uh, very liberal um, politics at some point. Uh, it was four years ago. I think it's changed a little bit now. In fact, the world has changed in the last five years uh, in terms of what's happening openly and overtly. Um, so that, you know, I, I can't really uh, judge. Uh, I know that I've been hearing people who are reading the German newspaper uh, Stern, and it is very critical of what's happening uh, in the United States policies. But um, I think we're at the beginning of a new era in the world, practically. England uh, separating themselves from the European Union. France has elections coming up. Holland has a lot of problems uh, with their uh, elections. Germany coming up. Uh, so, and the United States had our election. So it's very interesting. Um, South America seems to be as unstable as it always was in certain ways, uh, and yet it doesn't seem to be figuring very much right now in this. Um, when I was in um, Brazil, um, I was there for a short time, and uh, things seemed to be fairly stable. As soon as I left, my gosh, the um, price of everything just went up fantastically, and they were having kind of a breakdown. The same thing happened in Venezuela. Uh, so I think the whole world actually is in flux, Joanne, and this is off, off the topic. <laughs> However, uh, I think it's very interesting um, that when you listen to the news, uh, the international news, there are as many women leaders and speaking about what's happening in terms of organizations and associations and countries uh, as there are men. And that is one thing basically that we have been lacking in the United States. Uh, which is very uh, different uh, from the European countries. So I think um, I think it's a very interesting time to see what's going to happen. Um, and I'm waiting kind of to see what's going to happen. Well, you know, the reason I asked you this is that you have been a longtime feminist, and of course you have your career as a certified financial planner. And you've also been an advocate for getting women elected. And I think that um, both you and I see that as our responsibility of being a good citizen and uh, is participating and being aware of the, you know, what's going on not only regionally but um, in our state, in our nation, and then in the world. So I've always admired how you have taken a look at a broader view of things, and um, and that, that's going to bring me to as to this point. And you are a certified financial planner, and if I'm remembering correctly, you were the first—not the first—I don't know if you were the first woman in this area, but you were definitely the first woman who was in uh, president of the uh, your local. Um, uh, and I don't remember the name. Okay. The or yes, I was. There were very few women at that time who were in the field of financial planning, and Allegheny Investments certainly welcomed me and other women at the time. Uh, there are many more now because the whole world has opened up for women, including financial planning. Um, I was the first woman who was elected president of the Financial Planning Association in the Pittsburgh chapter. It is a national organization, and we have a very large Pittsburgh chapter. Uh, but the interesting thing is, and if I can say I was proud of, I brought two women along after me. Um, 
Karen Stoller was then the president uh, the year after me, and Ellen Fairbanks was the president after Karen. So it was a very interesting thing, not only being the first, but being able to uh, mentor and bring other women along to have that position. Now, as a certified financial planner, um, what have you seen as a difference? Um, is there a difference in the way women and men plan? And I mean with the clients that you're dealing with, what they okay, want I don't to know accomplish. That there's any difference. I don't know that there's any difference in how we plan, but I have heard uh, women, especially uh, when I started, saying, you know, I had another financial planner here, and he really just thought I didn't know anything and talked down to me, and I really didn't like that at all. And I think that was a fair statement because most people didn't think women had too much knowledge of finances, and a lot of us didn't. And so it was very important to talk with women and to educate. And since I was an educator for many years and loved one-on-one education, I thought that was a very good fit for me. So, yes, I think I also think that a number of people have said to me that you know, the last person that I talked to was a guy, and he seemed to think he had all the answers, and he was just going to do this. People like to be involved in their own financial planning. And the main thing about planning is listening. You have to listen to what your person that you're talking to, your potential client, is looking for and has to say and is feeling. So it's not only a financial relationship, it's actually a social relationship. And it's basically a relationship of trust, Joanne. Uh, So I would say that that's where I come from, a relationship of trust. I have clients who have been with me for over the 30 years that I have been in this uh, financial planning profession. Um, A number of them have gone on before and um, died. However, uh, there are still quite a few that that are with me. So it's very interesting, the personal relationship and the trust relationship which I think um, women are really uh, looking for. Are more women today thinking, um, availing themselves and thinking, well, I need to start long-term planning versus when you first started? Absolutely. Uh, There are many more single women now than there were when I first started. (laughs) It seems to me anyway. And uh, a lot of women um, who were married when I started have gotten divorced and have to have done their own financial planning with the monies that they had. So it's been an interesting journey to see that. And yes, I think women, there's much more information on television, on radio, on social media about financial planning. And I think women uh, are very much a part of that. They know that they need advice and they know that they have to start planning early because they're bombarded with that from the major firms that are advertising or from the readings that they have uh, in the social media. So yes, I think that things have progressed and uh, women are very much aware uh, that they do need long-term planning. Now, as one of the goals of the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement is to educate uh, women, uh, and one of the things that I I wanted to emphasize is we're still overall making three uh, 25% less than our male counterparts overall. As a woman, what does that do for us in our planning? I don't think 
I mean, we have you, less resources. I understand, you, you, but if you're, you plan with what you have and you plan with what you think your future will be. So I think that the detriment is that women have far less money when they retire than men because, number one, of the wages, number two, of their situations if they have been in a divorce. Um, statistics show that uh, women have a much lower, generally, a much lower uh, level of living after their divorce uh, than before. So I think it, it's just a matter of you have to learn to work with what you have. It would be nice if women earned as much as men. In fact, it would be wonderful and it would be equal. And it would be something that should have happened a long time ago. Um, But you cannot plan for the future on hopes. You have to plan with what you have. And the result is women have far less at retirement, usually speaking, than men do. Um, However, the uh, old fable that women were afraid to take risks and women wanted to put all their money in bank accounts and um, didn't want to talk about stocks, I think has changed an awful lot in the years that I've been in the business. Women are very interested in seeing that their money can grow and there are certain ways to make this happen. And that's part of the discussion that I would have with my clients. What type of risk would they want to take? What are their goals for the present and the future? what are their dreams in terms of other things. So I think it all works together, Joanne. Okay. So also you've had an avid interest in politics, and you have been very active in the political process. And I know that you have been a champion of women getting elected. And you chose a particular... um, type of candidate, I mean type of candidate, office to work to get women elected. Would you explain why you did that and, and what office you were you know, thinking that was most important? I think uh, I have always worked uh, generally in, with women who are running for office, but have concentrated on women running for judge. Very few people think this is important. I think it's extremely important judges rule over many parts of our life. Uh, A lot of times judges have much more influence on our lives than our legislators do. Judges are basically elected in Pennsylvania for life, whereas the legislators run every two years or four years or six years. So I think it's very important that we get people with integrity uh, who are fair, who are intelligent and knowledgeable about the law uh, to run for judge. And I have looked at women and have uh, helped uh, quite a few women uh, reach the bench in Allegheny County and in Pennsylvania. Um, the first well, person, the first, I just wanted, the first woman that I worked for, uh, for judge, was Judge Kate Ford Elliott, who actually just took senior status this February. That was back in 1989. <laughs> so it's been a long, uh, a long turn. Now, when you worked with um, Judge uh, Elliott, um, would you explain what what campaign that was? Sure. Uh, She was running for Superior Court. She had been the clerk of the Superior Court uh, as an attorney and uh, decided to run for that position. Interesting thing, she ran in 1988 with five other men on the ballot for one position. Uh, uh, This is boring, but this is the kind of stuff that interests me. (laughs) Uh, 
she beat all five men across the state and won the primary. Well, there were a lot of higher-ups that really didn't like the fact that she won that. And um, the attorney from Philadelphia brought suit against the secretary of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania saying judges could not be elected in even years according to the new constitution. And so they threw all the judge candidates off the ballot. (laughs) So uh, Judge Kate Ford Elliott uh, was not elected in the primary. And so she went back to work. And she was a school teacher, by the way. Took all her um, pension out so that she could run. And then they threw her off the ballot. So in 1989, she came back on. And by that time, they were so sorry about what they had done that she won in 1989 to the Superior Court. Another candidate was Judge Shelley Friedman, who won against all odds for the Commonwealth Court. And Shelley just retired, Judge Friedman just retired this year as, from her senior status. And then Judge Ann Lazarus, also from Philadelphia, uh, ran for the Superior Court and won. And I helped her uh, in that campaign very much here in the West. Of course, there are local places also on Joanne, Judge uh, Kathleen Mulligan, uh, who ran in Allegheny County, and actually she took senior status this year too, even though she's much younger than the other judges. Uh, Judge Cynthia Baldwin, who was on the Allegheny Common Police Court and was later appointed to the Supreme Court by the governor for a term. Um, So there have been quite quite a few uh, women who have run. This year, Pauline Calabrese is running and is a candidate, and I'm helping her in any way that I can uh, for Common Police Court Judge. Of the three careers that you've had, and they often run simultaneously, (laughs) which one uh, is the most interesting and challenging to you? Well, I think the challenging one uh, always is the uh, elected office one. Uh, I did run myself for office and lost a couple of times because that's the most challenging. I mean, that, and that has a deadline. You run, you run the race, you either win or you lose, and then you decide whether you're going to run again. There is a definite end to it. In my music career, it's been very, very exciting with the, all the opportunities I've had and all the places that I've played, and the people that I've played with, starting with the Pittsburgh Symphony members that I've played chamber music with. So that has been a very exciting career also. Also, seeing students who are going out and really making themselves uh, not only top musicians, which has happened in a few cases, but somebody will come back to me and say, you know, I was a biology major in college and graduate school, but you taught me to play the piano, and so I play with a group in my home once a month. I mean, that's the most satisfying thing to hear, <laughs> that people still love the music. And then the financial planning, that's been quite a part of my life, and I just love the interaction. So I don't think I can choose one over the other, Joanne. Um, well, it sounds like you've been blessed by loving everything you do. I, You know what? Uh, I really am, and I... People don't like to hear me say this, but I say, you know what? I only do what I like to do. I really don't want to do what I don't like to do. And for most of my life, I have not. And I have been very blessed that I'm able to do that. Um, My husband has always had a job, though he's been retired for many, many years. I am not a single mother, which I have that backup, which a lot of women do not have. 
And so I'm able to do a lot of the uh, community work and board work and political work um, because I am not the sole responsibility for supporting the family. Now our two children are grown and they're on their own. And so I have much more time uh, for the work that I love to do. Well, of the um, all the... Tell us some of the organizations that you have dedicated your time to. Well, I just got off the board of Bethlehem Haven, uh, which is a uh, housing for homeless women with emotional and uh, disturbances. And I was on that board for the total of nine years. I've been on the... um, um, Not Women and Children Board. Um, in Shadyside. I was that for many years. I'm very, very active and have been on the board for many times with the Thomas Merton Center, uh, the uh, Peace and Justice Center here in Pittsburgh. I was on the board for many, many years of the Financial Planning Association in Pittsburgh. Um, There have been many opportunities on the alumni board at Carlo University uh, it, it, it's just a matter of giving back, Joanne. So where there's, you know, sometimes you see the need and you just step in to fill it. Um, I know you've you, been a very active member with the Greater Pittsburgh Business and Professional Women also. That is correct. Uh, I've been an officer. I've been a district director for uh, the Business and Professional Women. Uh, also, I was on the board and one of the founding, um, got the Founders Award from NABO, actually, for setting up one of the programs that uh, NABO has uh, had over the years in terms of honoring volunteers. So um, it's been varied. Um, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. And, and that's part of the, so you, you have not only had these marvelous professional careers and often running the same, all at the same time, which shows what a capable woman you are, You've also been um, very, I know, very active in the community, and you and I have worked at events um, through an, or- an organization called Celebrate and Share. Which uh, uh, would you like to talk about that briefly? Well, I think you should talk about that. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, well, the listeners have to know that you and I work together on a lot of things, and we work together very well. Uh, we complement each other very well. And um, you are a woman of many hats also. And uh, so I think that why don't you say something about Celebrate and Share? Well, Celebrate and Share uh, is uh, an organization that Bonnie and I found in 2002 that we had always, both of us have been in our separate activities involved in helping raise funds for various organizations or help um get people recognized for their achievements. So Celebrate and Share was founded to recognize women and especially events around Women's History Month and any other event that uh, marked the achievements of women, such as the passage of the 19th Amendment in August. Uh, And we formed Celebrate and Share because nothing was really happening to highlight women in our area. It had been very popular for a while and then it had gone flat. And then through Celebrate and Share, we've had uh, a number of different engagements and groups that we've worked with. And when I total up the money, I mean, this is just something we do part-time. We have raised at least a half million dollars for various groups. 
Uh, and uh, we've worked with um, Cribs for Kids. We've worked with Tomorrow's Future. We've worked with um, Greater Pittsburgh Business and Professional Women. We have done some private fundraisers for people that we know need help. We have also worked with um, the Thomas Merton Center so that it's been a good relationship. And then our both of us love history. Uh, maybe I'm more of the history nerd than you are, but uh, I, you know, both of us are always looking for these first. And we just realized uh, that women's accomplishments, while they are vast and many, uh, there's nothing really permanent to record them. There's no one place to record and keep the stories. And that's how the mission of the uh, Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement, uh, how we, you know, we've working at, we formed it and we're working at a, uh, establishing uh, a permanent record of everything that women have done. And the, and the more I research this, the more I'm just amazed uh, at what we have done and what people have forgotten, you know, the people's names, whereas, and I always say there can be a sports hall of fame, there needs to be something for women. So this is the part of the education uh, process for the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement is keeping keeping our stories alive and making sure that our stories, people realize they count. You know, Joanne, I think something was pointed out very uh, clearly this year uh, in the movie. And I'm not a real movie buff, but I do watch it. And the movie, Hidden Figures, I mean, how many years has it been that nobody knew that it was women who actually brought um, NASA to success? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's absolutely amazing that, I mean, as much as you and I know about women in history, neither of us do anything about that. No, absolutely not. And that was, I'm so glad to see that story. And winning, you know, the Academy Awards. Right. That it won. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, one of our, uh, we just had a call from a good friend uh, and uh, trailblazer herself, Valerie McDonald Roberts, who, uh, would like to join us. She's going to come in if possible and um, uh, talk to us because I know you have known Valerie for a long time, Bonnie, correct? That is correct. Many years. We grew up in the same area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valerie, are you on the call? Uh, Valerie, can yes. I hear you? Joanne? Yes, welcome to the to the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement. We have been talking. Bonnie's been giving her story. Uh, and, um, in fact, Bonnie, um, would you like to talk about your relationship with Valerie? And we can do an interview of her, too. I'd like to say something about Valerie, not about particularly our relationship. I've well, I meant, Hi, Valerie. I mean, how are you? <laughs> thank you. Why, thank you. You have been... Uh, Valerie has been so involved in um, what people might not know is that Valerie has her degrees in chemistry and she graduated summa cum laude from Pitt. And Valerie, when you went on the school board, uh, a number of us said, wow, what an educated woman. And she is on our school board, which was really good. Then when you decided to branch out into government and into politics, we said, wow, what a stellar career you could have had. 
as a chemist. And here you are putting your life into government. Uh, why don't you say a little bit about that? Well, it's funny you uh, you you mentioned that, Bonnie, because um, I went to school uh, as an undergrad for medical technology, mm-hmm. and I was offered a uh, back in the seventies a four year. Uh, scholarship to University of Pittsburgh Medical School because I graduated first in my class, and uh, that was a time that they really wanted to diversify. Mm-hmm. So um, that was offered to me. Unfortunately, I did not take it because I had in my mind that I wanted not to work full-time where it's like, oh, geez, you're on call 24 hours a day, it, it, the, the life of a physician. Um, and the type of physician that I wanted to be, which is accessible to the community and, you know, to be that star physician, I decided not to do it. And um, um, because I wanted to get married, I wanted to have children. Not re- and, and I think the biggest mis- that was probably one of the biggest mistakes, if not the biggest mistake of my life. And the reason I think that I, uh, I, I say that is because I just don't know what trajectory that would have been, whether I would have still landed in politics. I think that the dear Lord gave me a... Um, a 90-degree turn, he, it, it's, or, or maybe even a U-turn. He I think a U-turn. Me. He didn't want right. me in that direction. Um, and uh, but, it, but I do say to a lot of young people, particularly women, you have to have a mentor. The fact that you and Joanne have been preaching from the mountaintops about women being successful and being focused, and it's, and it's good for women to be successful. But most women are successful when they have had people that have pushed them. It could be family. It could be community. It could be a, a teacher, a neighbor, somebody in your church, your your, uh, uh, your house of worship. It could be anybody. And at that time, I did not have anybody in my life that, that, would, that should have told me, you can do both, Valerie. You don't have to shortchange yourself. You mm-hmm. could be the physician that you want to be, um, as well as if you want to get married and children and the whole nine yards. You don't have to pick one or the other. Mentoring is so, so important to our young people to make sure that we have a cadre of successful leadership coming up. Well, you brought something up with this that I've been quite passionate about, uh, Valerie, because um, when you, well, you know, all three of us were growing up, um, there weren't very many women that, uh, other than movie stars or something like that, that we knew about or we heard being praised or, or you know, standing up there as mentors and encouraging us to move forward. And that's why um, there's been such a change today that there's really like a revolution because now um, young women are seeing that, you know, it is possible you can have a dual role. In fact, uh, Lord, how many women work today? And if you know, all 48 million of us stop working, the country, you know, every man would have to have four jobs or something, you know. Um, it is a generational thing um, because, like I said, back in the 70s, no, that was not the case. It was not necessarily the uh, the, the the norms that we have now in terms of our young women and and their ascension and how we're pushing them into careers that they never would have thought about, that was not the norm back in the 70s, 60s and 70s. It was not. Um, In fact, my um, uh, predisposition to uh, wanting, you know, to move into math and science intensely, as a woman, I was in a minority. 
mm-hmm. uh, to do something like that. Engineers, there was at the University of Pittsburgh in 1976 or 75, there was one, and I repeat, one African-American female who happened to be in the electrical engineering program. Mm-hmm. And wow. Yeah, one. That, <laughs> yeah. And um, that's not the case now. Uh, we do have more, but it's still not enough. Right. So, you know, Valerie, when my sister, who is like almost 15 years younger than I am, went to engineering school, she did some work at the community college, and she's transferred her credits over, and she was in uh, chemical engineering. And they told her that she would never graduate. They wouldn't accept her because she didn't have a chance. And she said, I will graduate, you will accept me, and I will make it. And, you know, she entered that school, and she graduated in chemical engineering. But that was even, I mean, a little bit later already in the 80s, the end of the 80s, and they were still telling women, you're not going to make it. Exactly. That was the, the, the mindset, um, and we've gotten so much better. But we're not there yet because we had, we had every opportunity to elect a female president. Got it. Okay, so we, so when people say, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Right. You know, Valerie, right. in Pennsylvania, Joanne, in Pennsylvania, this is the way I analyze it. There were three men, three white men, who won statewide races. And each of those men got 100,000 votes more than the two women, Hillary Clinton and Katie McGinty, who ran in Pennsylvania in the same state with the same voters. That means that there were 100,000 people who couldn't vote for a woman. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. And, nope. and that is a sad state of affairs. And I think that people are reaping what they sowed. <laughs> November, you know, they, they're reaping what they sowed. Um, we're, uh, that's all I can say. We're in interesting times. Um, Bonnie, I want to say, if you had taken the other route, uh, we would have missed out on a lot of your wisdom and a lot of your services uh, from the time you were on the school board and um, on city council. And then I believe you were the first African-American, if not um, African-American woman, to have a rail office. And you followed after Rita Wilson came there, huh? Yeah, in fact, Rita was the pioneer. Um, Sophie, there was a number of uh, women that uh, were the pioneers here in the city as far as political leadership. And when it was not popular, uh, when you were an anomaly, you're, you were kind of skewed in terms of what we would consider the norm. But you know what? It's still, it's still not that. We're, we're still not there yet. Um, we still have ways to go, as, as I pointed out, the national election. But you know, local elections are equally important uh, because they, the, local elections dictate who's going to have their pulse on the budget, where monies are yep. going to be placed for programming. Is it going to go into this pot or is it going to go towards, you know, um, hand-to-mouth needs of the people? So I think women being in elected office or in appointed office in some type of governmental role in the mix, so to speak, is absolutely important because if we're not at the table, you don't have a balance of of uh, of administration you don't have a balance of service women bring a different uh, a paradigm a different mindset a different passion to the table that balances things out so when i see the nancy pelosi's of the world and people you know booing i'm like thank god we have powerful women um uh in office 
that can balance our needs. Uh, again, we speak for we we speak for a number of issues that commonly aren't brought up in a very all male table. We just that's what we do. Right. You know, it it was uh, Congresswoman. Well, actually, when she was in the state senate, uh, Allison Schwartz from Philadelphia was the first time that anybody said that um, mammograms should be under insurance. Wow. See? It took a woman just in recent history to put, push that through. Uh, you are now the chief urban affairs officer here in the city. Yes. And uh, you, you're also dealing with the um, faith-based organization. And I wonder what you can tell us a little bit about what you see happening uh, in the city that you're involved in. You know, we have under the, the Mayor Peduto, um, and I'm honored to, that he had asked me to serve in his cabinet, but uh, he had for, he had uh, legislated um, in the budget in 2013 a concept of called the Bureau of Neighborhood Empowerment, and his vision was that bureau would handle a lot of the day-to-day issues that impact people. We're not talking necessarily the, the, the development and, and roads and bridges, and we're talking about nonprofits, faith-based initiatives, immigration and, and refugee issues, education, early childhood, small business development, neighborhood revitalization, diversity, inclusion, equity. Uh, um, those are the type of issues, uh, homelessness, veterans issues, health, it's a myriad of issues that impact us, and he wanted a bureau to basically be the focal point of of interfacing with the general public all of these issues. So we, so I deal with um, a number of of institutions and entities, and I have such a great staff to work with of deputy chiefs, managers, uh, and again, we just handle issues as we see them, as well as. Uh, create initiatives and and collab new initiatives to collaborate with those out there. We don't duplicate efforts. What we do is we try to connect the dots and become a synergy in making sure that there's great services in the city. So one of the things, um, so as in this position, I'm hearing basically is that you're taking more of a a woman's view, really, of what makes a city livable what makes you know it's not just buildings and bricks and mortar it's the people and the services and how we can get all of them to work together and to benefit one another correct you you hit it right on the head it's 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 the living it's the people component um you know uh i think the mayor had that vision back in 2013 when he was on council to know because of his service being not only starting as a staff member under a formal councilman, but also a councilman himself. And he understood that that component needs hands-on. It, it doesn't need to be a concept. It needs to be tangible to people. So, again, um, uh, nonprofits, entities, uh, they come to the Bureau of Neighborhood Empowerment, and then we navigate for them through the city, and also external partners to make things work. Um, we, And also I serve uh, uh, as a commissioner, as a chair of commissioners, for the housing authority of the city of Pittsburgh. Talk about people component. That particular authority is one that absolutely is critical to people's lives. In fact, it's... Yes, pro- correct. Oh, you know, uh, again, 
10, 10,000 families, you, they, and they serve people who are the most social, social, economically disadvantaged and underserved in this city. And, uh, and to work with the Housing Authority to make sure that efforts are beefed up, that we tear down the, the blockade type of housing that we've had. Mm-hmm. People have called the projects and make them into what looks like the city of Pittsburgh, real mm-hmm. homes, real housing, beauty, um, uh, again, to just administer services better and to tear down the paradigms that we've had from the past. Mm-hmm. Poor people you should know, not have to look like they live poor. Okay? Right. In, right. You know, the way those were built originally, uh, the ones that we're tearing down now, it was almost like um, they were put uh, cities on the hill away from yep. everything away from any transportation, away from stores, away from markets. It was it was, it was those really, people, those people. It was really intentional, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It was it, they were typically built during the um the war era, mm-hmm. uh the 40s and 50s and even right. the 60s we have uh like Homewood North, but those were built as temporary and the problem is the services were not there exactly. to the degree that people needed them, so they ended up staying there. And then they built a community, and then you're yelling at them because it's now a poor community. Well, you didn't do enough to get them out of that position. You that left them there. Now, one of the commissioners, I asked um, what <laughs> Enid, I, we couldn't figure out why in the world that would they put the uh, the the, uh, the lower income communities. High up on a hill with the That's best it, views. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> with the right. best views. If you went up to Addison when Addison was up there in mm-hmm. South Skyview, oh my goodness, the best view, Homewood North. You can see the Cathedral right. of Learning. You can go on and on. She she said something. I'm not sure if it's if it's you'd have to affirm that and confirm it, but she felt that back in the industrial age, before we had clean air, uh, before we had a renaissance. Smoke typically rise up, so the horrible views were up, mm-hmm. and the nicer views where there wasn't smoke was down. Mm-hmm. And they, she felt that maybe they put them up because that was the worst area you could have. The air was not as good. The air was mm-hmm. was worse. Well, the other thing is that there was no um, no uh, hiring of um, people of color uh, mm-hmm. at that time. And so the down parts were by the rivers where all the industry was, mm-hmm. the town, the industries. And so if you put people away, you know, even like, I, I hate to say this, but even like with the airport, they built that, they said, so that people would have jobs. Well, how are they going to get there? Mm-hmm. And one answer was, well, they're going to drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Where's the car? Well, we're talking. Exactly. What to you, yeah. What you're both talking about really is that um, it's the paradigm of thinking only one way instead of thinking long term, which women generally have uh, think long term because mm-hmm. uh, you're raising a family. You know, the day you give birth, you've got you know to the rest of your life, you have a child. And and I wanted and so that you you think long term even though each day you're you know, you're right in the middle of an emergency, <laughs> right? But we we don't think oh, in terms of the the big time you know chancy investments and all that. We're thinking of household budgets that we manage. For the most part, women handle the household budgets. 
We handle the budget for food, for gas, to make sure that we can live in our place. We handle daycare. We know how much daycare is. We know how difficult it is to find daycare and to pay for it. So we bring up transportation issues. People think that's just a very male-dominated issue. No, it is a very (laughs) female-infused issue because we've got to get from A to B. Uh, and we're always thinking in terms of transportation. I know people right now that would have their children in early childhood centers if they could get to them without having to take two buses. And, Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, having other children or babies to carry while they take one child there, it becomes such a – it becomes not even – I don't want to say it's a hassle. It doesn't – because that would trivialize it. It becomes almost impossible Mm -hmm. For that to make that commitment every day for not an entire day, for like four to six hours. I yeah. wish you would, I, I I wish you would write an article for one of the papers of Valerie, uh, at least bi monthly uh, or something, showing what you're accomplishing because I think that's a, so important for people to know that their interactions in the communities. Well, you know right. what? I look at I look at my life as we're talking about History Month, Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. And, like, remember I said that I was supposed to go to med school. I had a free ride, okay, mm-hmm. because because I was an excellent student. But I didn't go there. God threw me a curveball. He actually made me go left or right when I was supposed to go straight. He says, no, you're making a turn. I also look at things that have impacted my life, and sometimes not very good things, negative things. But that has built me to be able to be a better uh, public servant uh, to because I, I because people there's very few things like I can that I can cannot say I get that sometimes I've walked in those people's shoes I know what it's like to be on free and reduced lunch I know what it's like to not have and you know like where's the meat on the table sorry kids it's just toast and eggs tonight. So I know the struggles. I know about breakup of marriages and, and, and child support and courts and, and you name all the things, the negative things that can impact people from day to day, getting dental care and how to access that when you don't have insurance. Been there. Know what it's like not to have any medical insurance. So, And I also know about how to start a business. We had a very good business, me and my ex-husband. So I know all of those nuances, walked in many shoes, had a lot of good and negative experiences. And I believe that that is, when I get something negative, I just say, thank you, Lord, because I know I'm going to end up using this and having to pay something forward, whether it's advice to people, to let them know you're about to step on a landmine. Why? Because I I did before. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I I hear you. I tell people I'm very good in my business consulting because I've been so stupid sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the mistakes are your best teachers, and you just yeah. got to pay it forward. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, right now um, you are in this position, and you have, um, you're actually, and you are a grandmother, and you have, uh, I think, almost 12 grandchildren, or one to become. It will, yeah, you I can't believe you joined. Yeah, one uh, at the end of this month. Okay. So young young people coming up today, I mean, you've been very passionate, and you and it's a good thing God threw you a curve because you have made a big difference in many people's lives. 
what is it that you see today that you would like if you could just automatically give young women the knowledge that, I mean, they're born with it and, they're, and they you know, don't have to learn it. What would it be? Hmm, so much to give advice. Um, hmm. I would say, um, oh, whatever I say is going to sound wrong, okay? I was going to say be tough and to toughen up and to understand not to be a woman, but also understand the culture of the boardroom, understand the culture that you're playing in a guy's world, okay? You want to get ahead? Mm -hmm. This is a guy's world. You have to understand they are from Mars, you are from Venus. Understand the Mars culture. Get a little close. Take your planet and move a little closer so that you can understand how things, the typical norm of how things work, and and be be smart about it. I would just say, women, be smarter than everybody else in that room. And um, tricks of the trade to, to, to practice the, the Practice your demeanor, practice your behavior, how you speak, how you sound. Um, I can just say for the young women, you know, they can go on and on and on and on. And sometimes I sit there, hold my chin, and I'm like, you've got to stop talking. You can't do that there. Yep, yep, now you lost them all. Now everyone's looking around the room. Again, it's it's just common speech, uh, like a speech and debate kind of thing. Um, communication is so important. It is. We have some extremely talented, very smart, creative, innovative, and women that will take risks. They can do that. But sometimes the communication aspect needs to be tweaked, needs to be worked on. You know, you can be as smart as a whip and the perfect candidate, but if you don't have a good interview and you don't communicate well, you're not going to get the job. You probably won't. So communication is very, very important. And women, I think, um, if I would give advice, I would say just work on that. Yeah. I would also like to ask you, what led you to politics? Politics got led to me. I didn't ask for it. I was never involved involved in it. I knew my my dad was, you know, a a committee person in the 13th Ward. He became a chair. I remember phone calls coming in, but he literally sheltered sheltered us from politics. He was the classic, you know, I don't want to say show, he was a classic male. That is not for my daughter, okay? That's uh, that's kind of like a, um, I don't want to say a dirty world, but it's a world where it's a lot of bumps and bruises, and it's not for the faint of heart. And he just wanted me to excel in school. He wanted me to do well in math. He, he was STEAM-focused even before we had an acronym for it. He was STEAM and STEM focused even in the 60s. And that's all he wanted out of me. So he kept me away from politics because he felt that wasn't the, the venue for me. But what happened, and I did, I, I I read Time Magazine. That was my civic engagement exposure. I read the newspaper in Time. But when I, um, but it was just that uh, back in 1989, um, I had was very involved in the schools. I was very angry about some things that happened in the schools that I could not get resolution in central office. So I had a I had a chip on my shoulder about some things, and um, the current 
the current school board member that represented me was going to run for city council. That was 1989 is when it was the first election where it was council by district. It went ah. from at large to by district. So a lot of people were running in my district. There were, I think, three or four people running. So there was a vacancy on the school board. So it was a neighbor that came down the street, Mr. Brown, and said, why don't you run for school board? You know what I asked him? What is school board? Oh, wow. <laughs> what is what? You mean, like, I'm just using the central office and fighting with the, those people or the principal and w- working with the principal and teachers. So, yeah, that was, um, I had to kind of run on my own and because um, I couldn't get help from my dad because he was very busy helping one individual run for city council. It was a very important race. But, you know, I ended up going down to the county office building, going to the sixth floor, and I got every stitch of information I could and um, I just learned but I was prepared for school board because of my children being in the school district um, and um, having some issues I kind of knew what I wanted to do instead of being on the outside I said maybe it's time for me to be on the inside so that's why we're in Okay, so from the position of being a professional and a mother you saw a need and you took a risk I took a risk I took a risk. It was, you know, it was hard work because I ran against two people who had already been in the community and had some name. But I learned politics was OJT, on-the-job training. I just kind of smart enough to say what makes people tick. What do I need to do to have them know me a little bit more? And my my politic was retail, door to door. Person to person. You know, Valerie, what you said is absolutely true. And what I try to tell women who are running, when you said, um, how do I get them to know a little bit about me? I always say a campaign for a political office is not the time to educate. A campaign is the time to tell people something that will get them at the gut so that they will relate to you and know about you and want to vote for you. All the facts in the world doesn't make anybody. No, they they anybody no. vote. No, it's so a people thing. It's a person. You had thing. it. I mean, you hit it right on the head the first time. Mhm. Yep. So they saw my family, they saw my kids with me and um so that that's I I ended up winning and that was my foray into the political scene. It was through school board and of course I raised holy heck you know, shortly after I got there. but Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the kind of women we like. And, you know, we've been talking an hour, and I, my board is going to shut me down, or meaning my uh, media board here is going to shut me down very shortly. So um, I'm going to need to end up uh, this, but I, I want to ask both of you, um, what woman do you admire right now? And then we'll, uh, you know, we'll do a close. Bonnie, what woman uh, is an inspiration to you right now? Well, I have to say, I just got back from a fundraiser for Chelsea Wagner, and so I'm speaking very local, locally. And I would say that Chelsea is probably one of the bright parts that gives me hope for women and for the future. And um, yes. I, I would say uh, I admire her very much for what she has done and what she tries to do. 
Okay. That's and our in Allegheny County. And okay. for me, you know what, it's a shame I should have an answer, but I don't have an answer mm-hmm. because yeah. there's so many women that I admire. I, I just don't want to pick one. However, as far, I mean, the national scene, the local scene, you know, every mm-hmm. person who's in elected office that is a woman I admire, every single one of them. Um, the judiciary, we have some women in the judiciary. Um, but there are but there are women that um, are on the ground in communities that are leading efforts that are not politically involved necessarily, but they are helping people from day to day. Again, I serve on a housing authority in the city of Pittsburgh, and I see women from you know disadvantaged backgrounds that are doing everything that they can not only to help their families but to help each other, and these are unsung heroes. And there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. Right. And uh, that's why I'm like, I don't have one woman, but I would say to anybody, try to admire the unsung hero also. Look mm-hmm. to them. Find them. They're there. They're probably right in front of you. Was it Jackie Jeter? Was that her first name? Who? Uh, Jeter. Um, they used to go to Harrisburg all the time. Um, J-E-T-E-R. Do you know that name? G- oh, you're talking about uh, um, first name? Um, not Fanny. Um, May. Her, she was from South. Are you talking about the woman from South uh, Saint Clair Village? I am. I am. Yeah, I am. she's been gone a long time. But she yeah, been a long she was time, one. I'll tell you, she stuck in my mind um, because of the advocacy that she did. I, I don't know if it was Fanny May Jeter, but Miss Jeter. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I Ms. met her. Jeter, yes, uh-huh. I have met her when uh, I was on school mm-hmm. board, actually. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. She was a pistol. <laughs> she was something else. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. But man, she didn't let anything stop her. Yeah. yeah. She was yeah. certainly something. Yeah. Right, and another woman who just passed, uh uh Catherine Everett Johnson is certainly a woman who was not only a civil rights advocate, her obituary and was uh you know, she was a friend of all. And this is the type of woman that, uh, you know, she's the hero day in and day out of trying to make a difference. And, in you know, all her, they, yeah. and, and uh, uh, Alma Fox, Miss Alma Fox, oh my gosh, I've been yes. in touch with her these past couple of days. She's also 94 years old yep. and uh, yep. still going strong. And she just had a birthday about three weeks ago. <laughs> she, she's something else. And uh, she is. those are, I think, are... Community-wise, as women, we sing their songs, but I just wished it was a broader and that people yep. appreciated them yeah. broader, more broadly. Well, ladies, I want to thank you for your valuable time. Um, the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement, our goal is to take those stories and have them be heard and to be recognized as the um, the heroes they are and making a difference and making our community a uh, often called the most livable community city in the United States because of our women. Women like you, Bonnie, and women like you, Valerie, but also the women that you're talking about who unselfishly serve each day to try to make a difference. So uh, please, folks, stay tuned in to the Pennsylvania Women's Hall of Achievement as we bring different events and different interviews of the women who make a difference in our community. Thank you, Bonnie, and thank you so much, Valerie, for your time. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you, Joanne.